Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, and great to be with you. Good afternoon. It is Rabbi Michael Katz coming to you live from Joburg this afternoon and a Judaism 101.9. Great to be in your company. It has turned into a beautiful day after a little bit of a cold start. I guess it's just a little bit chilly uh, today, but then winter has to come at some stage. And of course, um, all sorts of uh, drama and dramatics that are playing out um, around the country and around the world. And um, it's uh, tough to think of the fact that we uh, need to block it out from time to time and not to put our heads in the sand and pretend that it's not there, but rather to think about what can we do from a spiritual point of view, from a Jewish point of view, what can we do to bolster ourselves, our communities, our families, and our thinking in order to be able to blaze a beautiful, bright, and wonderful trail ahead. And a lot of it has got to be about thinking positively. A lot of it has got to be about speaking positively, saying positive things. One of the things that, of course, uh, people are putting down uh, a tremendous amount of this violence to is uh, the fact that uh, people have said things that are inflammatory. They've said things that can be misconstrued. <clears throat> and they continue to say and, uh, and, 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 and pronounce and write about things that can be misconstrued and sometimes are not misconstrued, but are just darn right, um, uh, out there invoking and trying to conjure up people's emotions and get them to behave in intolerable ways and in strange and peculiar fashions. We've got to keep on knowing that we have a true and beautiful path that there is absolutely no doubt in our minds as to what we have to do and how we have to be examples, lights unto the nations and uh, uh, set the right example and do the right thing and God forbid to ever be caught up in the kind of crowd behavior that uh, we have seen. And yes, we have to be careful. Of course, we dare not uh, venture into places where we are putting our lives at risk, but we need to make sure that we are living good, productive, positive lives, that we continue to do good things, that we continue to spread a good word, and that we continue to remember that uh, people have uh, often overlooked the miraculous ability of South Africa to continue to bounce back, to continue to overcome all of its issues and problems. We have uh, sometimes, uh, or we sometimes have a short memory, and we forget the fact that this is a country that received the utmost assurance, guidance, and blessings of the Lubavitcher Rebbe um, of uh, prosperity and of great and wonderful things. Um, nobody ever said that there wouldn't be a couple of hiccups along the way. Nobody ever said that there wouldn't be some difficulties that we have to confront and that we have to go through. But ultimately, this is a place that has huge, huge blessings, huge, huge brachas for each and every one of us, for uh, the Jewish people in uh, South Africa, as well as for the, uh, the society, general populace of South Africa, who are good peace-loving people, um, um, and uh, we dare not forget that. There are always going to be some elements of bad. There are always going to be some fear-mongers and war-mongers. There are always going to be some who don't want to play by the rules and uh, don't want to listen to the law. But by and large, 
We're living in an incredibly beautiful, wonderful country with an incredibly beautiful and wonderful people. And we need to continue to remember our great and uh, brilliant role that we have to play of positive input, of positive energy, of Torah, of mitzvahs, of all of those things. And yes, it is uh, hard to put it on the back burner. And yes, it is possibly hard to uh, kind of forget it for a while. But that is, in fact, one of the ways that we need to deal with this. We need to shut off from all of the negativity and we need to tune in to the positive input and messages that you will continue to receive here on 101.9 High FM uh, throughout the day and particularly here, Judaism 101.9. Now, we are coming to, oh, we've just about passed the middle of the nine days. Why I say the middle of the nine days is because today you will know is day number five, but in fact, the nine days actually, it's one of the strange things. When is the nine, when is the number nine, not nine? When is it actually 10? It actually continues until the middle of the 10th day. Um, just in case you were wondering, yes, it does go until Monday midday. Um, in that nine-day period and these nine-day regulations of not eating meat and not drinking wine and keeping to a state of uh, mourning as we are in. And so today, the fifth day, is um, just about midway through the nine days, as strange as that sounds. And today, of course, is a very special date in the Jewish calendar. It is the 5th of Menachemov, and it is the yard site of uh, some great people, um, particularly, in no particular order, uh, the Arizal, Rabbi Yitzhak Luria Ashkenazi, who was known as the Ari HaKodesh, the Holy Lion, who passed away on the 5th of Av in the year 5332, which in common era, would be 1572. Now, he was born in Jerusalem in 1534, spent many years in secluded study near Cairo in Egypt. And in 1570, he settled in Tzvas, and that is where he is uh, best known, that there is the Arizal Shul, that is in Tzvas, in Safed, in Tzvas, in the north of Israel. Um, and he lived there for two years until his passing at the age of 38, believe it or not, 38 years old. And during that brief period, the Ari revolutionized the study of Kabbalah. It's hard to think. 38-year-old man with the great influence that he, that he had. He revolutionized the study of Kabbalah, came to be universally regarded as one of the most important figures in Jewish mysticism um, throughout uh, Jewish history. It was he who proclaimed that, he said, in these times, we're allowed and duty-bound to reveal this wisdom and opening the door thereby to the integration of the teachings of Kabbalah, of mysticism, until then, which was only for the select few in each generation, and he brought it into mainstream Judaism. It's quite incredible. Young man, um, of all of 38 years old, um, great mystic, great teacher, the Ari HaKodesh, the Arizal, who passed away on the 5th of Menachemov in 1572. It is also the Yorotite today of Reb Chaim Grodzinski, who passed away on this day in 1940. Chaim Ezer served as the rabbi of uh, the Jewish community in Vilna in Lithuania for over 50 years, a distinguished scholar and uh, an author of a great work called the Achiezer, a collection of halachic responsa. 
Um, he was also a devoted communal activist, and he had many a relationship with the fifth and the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe's, Rabbi Shalom Dovber and Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson, on many a project to ease the plight of Russian Jewry, including things like um, a great 1929 struggle that they had for uh, matzah to be sent to Jews in the Soviet Union. Now, there are all sorts of incredible things, therefore, that uh, come together that conjure up a, uh, a, a tale about this day. Now, I don't want you thinking that because it's commemorating yard sites, that therefore it adds to the sadness of the time. On the contrary, it's perhaps... Um, a brighter view of uh, this period of time because as we well know when a great tzaddik, when a righteous person has accomplished everything that they need to accomplish on this earth and they then are elevated to a higher realm in the heavenly realms and they move on to a new address, to a new place um, in uh, Shamayim it is uh, highly regarded by all that this is a day of great elevation, not only for them but for their Talmidim, for their students for the entire Jewish people and therefore let's take that as something positive, as a positive um, energy kind of an influence that we have on this, the fifth day of Menachemov. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Yes, and welcome back. Great to be in your company this afternoon. And it is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz. And yes, we're talking about the nine days, so the rest of the nine days, and of course this coming Shabbat, and of course Tisha B'Av, which follows close on its heels. Let's first focus on this coming Shabbat. It is known as Shabbat Chazon, Shabbat of Vision. Now, if we take a look in the uh, Gemara Megillah, in the Talmud Megillah uh, 3a, there is a quote of a pasuk of a verse taken from Daniel, um, Daniel 10, it says, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, but the people with me did not see it. Yet a great terror befell them, and they fled into hiding. Let's repeat, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, but the people with me did not see it. Yet a great terror befell them, and they fled into hiding. The Gemara comments, and it says, But if they did not see the vision, why were they terrified? Because though they, selves, though they themselves did not see, their souls saw. We come to a Shabbos, which is aptly called the Shabbos of Vision. Shabbat Chazon. It is named after the third of the three <clears throat> kind of admonishing haftorahs that we read. During the three weeks, we've read two of them already, and this is the third one. Even if you're not going to shul and you're not going to listen to it in shul, you need to, uh, or you should, read through it at home. It is called Chazon Yeshayahu, the vision of Isaiah. And what is this uh, vision of Isaiah, or perhaps more uh, poignantly, why have we chosen, or why did our sages choose to call this Shabbat Chazon, the Shabbos of vision? There is an often known parable that is repeated every year and is worth repeating again this year. And it is the parable that is brought by Reb Levi Yitzhak of Adichev, who uses this metaphor, let's call it rather than a parable, I guess. He said a father once prepared a beautiful suit of clothes for his son. 
But the child neglected his father's gift, and soon the suit was in tatters. The father gave the child a second suit of clothes. This one, too, was ruined by the child's carelessness. So the father made a third suit. This time, however, he withholds it from his son. And every once in a while, especially in opportune times, he shows the suit to the child, explaining that when the child learns to appreciate and properly care for the gift, it will be given to him. This induces the child to improve his behavior until it gradually becomes second nature to him, at which time he will be worthy of his father's gift. On Shabbat Chazon, on this Shabbat, says Reb Lev Yitzchak, each and every one of us is granted a vision of the third and final temple, the Beis HaMikdash Hashlishi, a vision that, to paraphrase what the Talmud says, what we learn in the Gemara Megillah, though we do not ourselves see, our souls see. This vision should surely evoke a profound and beautiful response from us, even if we aren't consciously aware um, of the cause of our sudden inspiration. So if you're feeling inspired on the Shabbos and you feel really, really uh, buoyed and uh, uh, fired up because of something that is kind of inexplicable, well, Rebbe Yitzhak about Ditchev is telling you it's because your soul has seen the vision. And that vision is the vision of the third base on English. Now, when we think about this incredible metaphor, this analogy that is brought by Reb Levi Yitzhak of Baditchev, he didn't just choose um, any old uh, analogy. He was trying to uh, bring to the fore, as with many analogies of Torah and many analogies of our great tzaddikim, our great sages, they weren't just utilizing a uh, figure of speech or uh, something that would uh, kind of be readily understood by all of us, but rather um, taking to the extreme every part and every point and every uh, um, even atmosphere of what this analogy is meant to be depicting. And therefore, when he talks about a suit of clothing, you know, Hasidic philosophy is uh, uh, replete with references to the garments of the soul. What are those garments of the soul? They are our thoughts, they are our words, and they are our deeds. When we think about garments, we don't just think about the fact that a suit of clothing or the clothing that you or I are wearing right now, that it actually covers um, hopefully most of our bodies, but um, if not the entire human body, we fit into them. They cover us. They are there to protect us from cold, to protect us uh, from the outside, but at the same same time to keep us modest, to keep us covered, to keep us dressed. And in a similar fashion, if we think about it, the concept of a, a suit of clothing and the concept of our thought and our words and our deeds being the garments of our souls. Well, the garments are things that are on the outside. They, too, uh, reflect on our modesty. And at the same time, they, too, are there to protect us. They protect us from anything that the world can throw at us. And very, very often, we're called upon to make good use of the powers of positive thought. And very often we're called upon to make good use of the power of positive speech. And most often we're called upon as Jews to make good use of the 
positive energy and atmosphere and change that can be brought about by positive action. These are garments of our souls. When we talk here about the garments of the Beit HaMikdash, however, if we think about it, um, there are two kinds of garments. You know, we've often, I guess, in jest, even thought about the difference between a real tzaddik and a tzaddik in pelts. We sometimes talk about a tzaddik in pelts. What's a tzaddik in a fur coat? Tzaddik in a fur coat is someone who is only really worried about himself or herself, about enclothing themselves. You know, when you walk into a cold room, and it's an appropriate day, I guess, to be speaking about walking into a cold room. When you walk into a cold room um, and uh, the uh, you're shivering, and there are other people who are shivering. Well, there are two ways that you could warm yourself. You could warm yourself by putting on a fur coat. You could put on a fur coat, and you'll be warm. What about everybody else? If you, you could find a way of turning on the heating, of bringing warmth to everybody in the room, isn't that the better way of providing that heat? Isn't that the better way of doing it? So here we have the concept of the tzaddik in pels. A tzaddik in a fur coat is a tzaddik, a righteous person, who is only worried about, really, bottom line, worried about himself, worried about his own uh, sustenance and his own uh, maintenance and his own ego, and making sure that he himself or she herself, um, are uh, personally taken care of, not really um, giving too much thought to others. The better way is to provide an environment that everybody feels the warmth. Now, if we think about it, the concept of a house that you go into is also, in a way, a garment of your being. It is also a garment. It is on the outside. It represents you. It shows something about you. You can tell something about the attitude and atmosphere of an individual when you uh, see what they are wearing. But you can also tell that by the house that they live in, the home that they keep, the atmosphere, the um, environment, the surrounds. That also encompasses you. It is also, in a sense, like a garment. When we think about the Beit HaMikdash, when we think about the temple, the temple in Yerushalayim was a very, very different kind of a garment. It wasn't like the suit of clothing that each and every one of us may wear on our bodies. It wasn't just like the house that we may enter, that we may go into. It was rather a spiritual home that contained the godliness that was in a real sense represented down here on earth. And therefore... It was clothing, garment, protection, and modesty, and then some, for everybody. Because we know that the walls of the Beit HaMikdash, in a sense, were spiritually pliable. And the light that was um, administered from the menorah spread outwards. It was something that wasn't really entirely limited just to the environs of those walls, but in fact, it was something that was, uh, it put its embrace, the embrace of the Beit HaMikdash, of the temple, was around everything and everybody. And in fact, is this not what the Lady Yitzhak of Bardichev is actually referring to? When we talk about the idea of it being, of the temple being compared to a garment, the garment is the way perhaps that a child can understand it. But when we think about it, we need to think about this huge and incredible and powerful um, place and space that didn't really occupy a fixed 
place and space. In fact, when we look at all the measurements, as we well know, of things that were uh, that pertain to the Beit Hamikdash to the Temple, they don't all add up. It doesn't really all make sense, except to say that there were miracles. There was a miraculous environment. It was a miraculous space, and in that miraculous space, so each and every person, each and every individual, each and every part and facet of the entire world can be and was influenced by that Beit HaMikdash. And so we believe when a Mashiach will come and that third Beit HaMikdash will be standing in Yerushalayim in HaKodesh in the holy city of Jerusalem, it will cast its embrace around everything and everybody. And that is the embrace of light and the embrace of peace and the embrace of kindness, and the embrace of the wondrous and beautiful things that we hope and we pray for each and every day. So what we're actually talking about when we think about this Shabbat Chazon is that our souls are shown not just, and let's not limit ourselves, to thinking that it's all about a building, that it's about a shul, that it's about a structure. This is much more about the influence that that holy Beit HaMikdash even though it will be a structure, it will be a building, it will stand in Yerushalayim, but it will have the warmth and embrace and atmosphere of peace, of kindness, of goodness, the wondrous things that we hope and pray for each and every day of our lives. That is what this garment, so to speak, Represents, And Hashem keeps on showing it to us. He keeps on tempting us. He keeps on telling us. We're almost there. We've almost done it. And we therefore know that it can take just one small act of kindness, just one extra mitzvah, just one good deed can actually tip the scales and make this entire vision become an absolute reality. So at the moment, yes, we were limited to be able to only see it in our souls. Hopefully we can see it truly, in actuality, in reality, in real time, with the coming of Mashiach, which we hope and pray for and we know is more propitious at this time than at any other time in the year. And so as we are in a time of mourning and as we have the world sittering around us and things shaking and feeling of uncertainty and so on, it is all because we are about to see that vision in reality. It is going to be a vision in reality, the real vision of the Beit HaMikdash of the Temple. May it happen very, very speedily in our time, very, very soon for each and every one of us. Now, we have all lost loved ones and friends from this terrible pandemic, and our grief becomes multiplied. Unfortunately, as one funeral replaces the last, it seems there isn't enough time to mourn and process our loss properly. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. We're continuing with our Judaism 101.9 today, though, and looking at Tisha B'Av coming up as it does on Saturday night and Sunday. Just a brief recap. Um, Tisha B'Av commemorates seven major things, if you think about it. Number one is the spies returned with a bad report. That was in the time that we were in the desert. They came back on this day, or on the day before. They came back on, it would have been Shabbos. The eighth of Av with a bad report about Israel. The Jewish people cried that night. 
And therefore, we were destined to spend the 40 years in the desert with that entire generation dying out. Now, both temples were destroyed on Tisha B'Av. The first temple was destroyed in 423 um, um, of the uh, before in the Common Era. And five centuries later, in 69 of the Common Era, um, the Romans destroyed the second temple. The Battle of Beitar was lost. That happened in 133 of the Common Era. And the Romans plowed the base Amigdash a year after the conquest of Beitar. They plowed over the Temple Mount. The Jews were expelled from England. Yes, Jews were expelled from England in 1290. Um, and you guessed it, that happened on Tishabav. The Jews were banished from Spain, 1492. The Golden Age of Spain um, came to a close when Queen Isabella and her husband Ferdinand ordered that the Jews be banished from the land. The Edict of Expulsion was signed on the 31st of March, 1492, and the Jews were given exactly four months to leave the country. Guess what? The date on which that came to be was the 9th of Av. And World War Two and the Holocaust was actually the long drawn out conclusion of World War One that began in 1914. And although amazingly Germany declared war on Russia, um, uh, they catapulted uh, the First World War into motion. It happened to be also on the 9th of Av, on Tisha B'Av. So there is a lot in this day and a lot of things that seem to have gone wrong for the Jewish people over so many centuries, over such a long period of time, that when we think about it, it is something that is quite unbelievable. But what we need to do is we need to make sure that on Tisha B'Av, we mourn for the destruction of the Batei Migdash. We think about the negativity of this day, but at the same time, that's not where we stick. That's not where we stay. We move on and think about how we can put things right. One mitzvah at a time, one good act at a time, one act of kindness, one little bit of self-belief and understanding that we have a profound and beautiful role to play. And in that way, we can turn these days into days of joy and happiness. Be back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Just from a practical point of view, Saturday night is the beginning of Tisha B'Av through the day of Sunday. Remember, it is a 25-hour fast, just about, and we've got to think about um, what we're going to be doing. Remember that when we do a um, fast on uh, Tisha B'Av, we ordinarily would not have any fasting uh, that could take place on Shabbos, but being that Shabbat is already um, the day before Tisha B'Av, we need to Take the fast on Tisha B'Av. There's no formal taking of the fast. We just go into it. We need to stop eating. And by the time that will be uh, shared with you on your calendars and you need to check on that carefully, your shul newsletters and so on, that by a certain time on Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, um, if you haven't heard that Mashiach has come and the temple has arrived, uh, we will need to be fasting throughout the day, um, the night and the day of Tisha B'Av. We do not put on tefillin in the morning of Tisha B'Av. We put it on in the afternoon. The book of Eicha, Lamentations, various kinot, various uh, hymns of sadness are read throughout the morning hours and we sit low um, wearing non-leather shoes um, till at least midday of uh, Tisha B'Av, of Sunday, after which we can get up and with Mincha in the afternoon, we will then be davening with our Talas and Tefillin um, saying the Mincha prayer and all the things that are left out in the afternoon. At the end of Tisha B'Av, 
on um, Sunday night, we make Havdalah. We do not make Havdalah on Saturday night, but it is made on Sunday night following the washing of the hands at the end of the fast. I want to wish you a good and productive uh, few days now for the last of the nine days. And hopefully Tisha B'Av will be a day that is turned around when that vision that we're going to be shown on Shabbat Chazon will truly become the reality. Hope to be able to celebrate with you in the coming week, um, knowing that uh, everything has been turned around into a time of joy, of light, of prosperity, of healing, of happiness, and of all things good and wonderful. Take care. Look forward to seeing you again next week on another exciting episode of Judaism 101.9.